was not a good week this week. It was a tragic week. But in that, we fix our eyes on Jesus, our hope. And what we say is, enemy, we stomp on your head today. You thought you got us, but we're going to stomp on your head because we're going to offer up a sacrifice of praise. As Hebrews says, you know what? There are times when it doesn't make sense with our physical minds to praise. But that's when we say we have the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I know one thing, Lord. We're going to fix our eyes on you because you are the hope of the nations. You are the hope of the nations. You are our hope. So right now, as we sing a song of jubilation that says, Lord, you have made me glad. This world doesn't make me glad. Circumstances doesn't make me glad. But you make me glad, Lord, because you are my hope. You are my hope. You are the one. You are the one that I look at. You are the one that I look to for healing. You are the one that I look to. So let's do that today. Let's stomp on the enemy. Let's stomp on the enemy. Let's push back. Let's push back. Let's push back and say, Lord, you have made me glad. Come on, Rebecca, let's sing it. Lord, oh Lord, how great are your works. Oh Lord, how great are your works.
And I've seen cancer disappear I've seen metal plates dissolve Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen a real life resurrection I've seen mental health restored Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen families reunited I've seen prodigals return Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen troubled souls delivered I've seen addicts finally free
I was praying this morning actually all week but this morning I was thinking about our time together and I thought about what we call this room we call it a sanctuary and I thought how significant that was the concept of sanctuary that when we come into this place we do shut out the world's voice you've listened to the world all week whether you liked it or not you did you had the news on, you heard what their commentary was, you heard what the answers are, you heard what the arguments are, you heard, you heard, you heard, not to say that there's not any level of truth there, but you know what? He is the truth. Yes. He is the truth. And when we come into this place, together it is a sanctuary to hear the word of the Lord, to focus in on what he's saying about yes, things. Right. And as I was praying, I was saying, Lord, what is it that you have to say? And he said, Lord, Lynn, let me remind you of something. I came to destroy the works of the enemy. Yes. So we were talking about that, he and I. Actually, it says in 1 John 3, 8, that I, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And I was like, Lord, but you see the enemy's works. And he said, yeah, but you know what? how I did it, how I destroyed the works of the enemy? Through my children. Yes. He came to give us the Holy Spirit, the overcoming power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And he's placed you here not to be a spectator, on the works of the enemy yeah. but to destroy the works of the enemy come on not in your own power not in your own wisdom because the truth is you can't do it we couldn't do it before we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth is this we are to intervene and interfere in the works of the enemy yes. Amen. if anybody can do it it's the people of God. But how do we do that? And I was talking to the Lord about that. And he says, through goodness, through my love, through my goodness. Let's read that. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 10, it says this. But God, being so very rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us alive together with Christ, and he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God not as a result of your works so that no one will boast or take credit in any way for we are his workmanship created in christ for good works 
which God prepared for us beforehand so that we would walk in them. Thank you, Lord. We talk about seated with Christ in heavenly places all the time. May we connect that to our assignment here. That we are to go about doing good. Not just to good people. This is where it gets tough. But to even to our enemy. Oh, that's when it's tough because we can do good to good people in our flesh, in our humanity. But we need a supernatural power to go beyond that. Right? We do. But you know, I was thinking the Lord said, you know what? I want the church in the earth. And this isn't just about the United States. This is about the people of God, the true believer, the one that has given their life to Christ to go about doing good. We are to go about doing good. That is his light, that is his salt in the earth. In the midst of the enemy going about doing his destruction. Because the enemy is bent on destruction. He is bent, he is committed to his destruction. He is committed to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus is committed to, I have given you life and life abundantly. And I have seated you with me in heavenly places. It's not when you just go to heaven someday when you have a new body up there. You know what? I've seated you right now with me in heavenly places for the empowerment to do what I have called you to do. And that is to go about doing good. You are his workmanship. The fact is this. You may say, I feel so helpless. You're not helpless. Go about doing good. Go about in kindness. Go about in love. Go about being a righteous person. I said last week in a prophetic word, actually in second service, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That's what Proverbs said. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Why is that? Because righteous people should go about doing good for others, no matter who they are. See, the whole city rejoices. No matter what they're bent towards, they say, I'm glad there's somebody that's righteous. They're going to be an advocate on my behalf. They're going to go about doing good for me. The Lord is calling us to do good. And a lot of times people say, okay, well, then let's have a campaign. Well, why don't we go and have some sort of... No. What he's saying is in your daily life, go about doing good. If there's a lost child in the store, you go rescue that child and bring them, find the mama. Because you should be the safest person in that whole store. I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about daily stuff. If you see somebody, a woman on the side of the road that's broken down, come on. If you're a safe person, stop for her. Make sure she's, she's able to get help. Come on. What are we talking about? We like the, the highfalutin stuff, you know, the big campaign stuff so that we can say and wave our flag that we're good. No, it's in the daily things, being good, yeah. not in ourselves, but in his power, in his authority. There are opportunities. I'm going to say there's opportunities every day to do good, to see a hurting person. To see somebody that just needs the help. Maybe an old lady coming with her groceries out of the store. Do you know what I'm saying? And you see her kind of 
having a hard time with those groceries and saying, you know what, ma'am, I'm going to help you out. Can I help you with those things? Just doing good. Just going about doing good. That's what his power and authority is there for. A lot of times, yeah, we are, we are his ambassadors. Yes, we want to see people come to know Christ. But you know what? Let's just go about doing good. Let's go about with the kindness of God. Listen, this is a very angry world we live in. Very angry. And you know what? I've never seen the church people so angry. So, so angry. As if there's some sort of power in that. It's not. Go about doing good. Being righteous. You know, it's, it's interesting because we are to do good, but we are to be good. Not in ourselves. That's why I read that scripture. Not in ourselves. But he paid the price so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. He imputed his right. He gave you his righteousness and now you can walk in it. So it's not just doing good, but being inside. Lord, I choose your goodness. I choose your thoughts. I choose. Come on. Listen. And this is, this is international. You say, I feel so powerless when I see tragedy like this. Go about doing good. Go about loving people in your world. You may not be able to do something clear over someplace else, but you can do it in your world. You can have the kindness of God expressed to people. Even people who are in lifestyles you don't agree with, it doesn't matter what lifestyle they're in. You go about doing good. You go about being kind. That's what Jesus did. When you show up to whatever scene in your life, I don't care if it's the gym, if it's Walmart, whatever, your family event, a barbecue, Jesus should be with you. The presence of Jesus the perspective of Jesus. See, the truth is this. Jesus went about destroying the works of the devil. We sang some ways he does that through healing and restoration. He does it also through letting your light shine. In goodness, so that when you come across somebody's path, they say, man, that was a, a kind person. That person's very kind to me. The Starbucks barista says, that person's very kind. No matter how long the line is, whether I get their, their, their drink correct or not, that person is kind. That's good. Come on. That waitress... That waitress that you don't know what her life is about. You don't know that she commuted clear from Los Banos to be your waitress that day. That she has children an hour and a half away that she's worried about. But she needed a job to support those kids. So she's at your table taking your order. Come on, let's get real. Let's stop being highfalutin. Let's get down into the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we live. That's the opportunity to do good. How can I help you out today? Bust your own table. Stack your own dishes.
clean your own table. Well, I'm not going to give her a tip. You better give her a tip. You better give her a tip. Because you're going to go about doing good. So that when you show up, she sees goodness in you. She sees the love of God in you. She sees the kindness of God that brings her to repentance. Come on. She sees that God loves her more than judges her. Yes. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. I came to save it. And so Jesus says to us, listen, I did all this for you. I seated you with Christ. I had mercy towards you. I had grace towards you in the Ephesians chapter 2. And I seated with you, you with me in heavenly places. Why? Why did I do that? So that you can do good things, good works that I prepared in advance for you to do. In 2022, with all the chaos of the world, with all the pain of the world, with the enemy out and about doing his thing, using people that serve in him, may we be people of God saying, I'm going to go about and do good in the earth. I want you to stand. I just feel so strong about this. See, the fact is this. The sin of this world is not greater than the power of God in you. I'm going to say that one more time. The sin of this world, how icky that we see it, and it is icky. And the destruction and the chaos and the tragedy and the pain and the suffering that it causes. Yet, the sin of this world is not greater than the power of God in you. Amen. You got to believe that. That's right. You know what I want you to do? I want you to take somebody's hand right next to you. Grab somebody's hand. We're going to covenant right now. This house, I just feel so strongly. And I know the Lord has really dealt with me everywhere I walk. Take somebody's hand. Everywhere I walk, I am committed to your goodness, Lord. No matter if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, no matter if I had an upset stomach last night, I had a pizza dream, I don't feel that well, I am committed to your goodness, Lord. I'm committed to express your goodness. I'm committed, Lord, to destroy the works of the enemy. Yes. Lord, I'm committed to that in my world. I cannot help with other things, but I surely can do it in my world. Yes. Impacting the people in my world. Impacting the hurting in my world. Impacting the lost in my world. Impacting the people who are disoriented. People who, by encountering you, can put them on a different trajectory of decision making. Yes. Because they encountered kindness. Yes. That we would reach out to the suffering. That we would not run the other way and say, I don't know what to say. Rather, we would run towards them. Run towards the suffering person. Run towards the brokenhearted. Because Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, when you said that, you said, therefore, I send my children to the brokenhearted. Lord, right now, as we covenant, we're holding hands because that expresses the unity, Father, over this house. The unity that we are committed to do good. 
we're committed to your love. Lord, we know, we know we cannot do it in our flesh. We cannot do it with our own mindsets, but we have to have your mind, Lord. We have to have your thoughts. We have to have your power. We have to have your love. And Lord, may we be people committed to walking with your Holy Spirit's power, not the power of the world, not the wisdom of the world, not even our own selves but rather surrendered to the Holy Spirit's power. And Lord, I know when we do that every day, we are destroying the works of the enemy. We are destroying what he's trying to build up in other people's lives. And may we, by faith, do these things with your power. Not so that we can go around and tell others, not that, so that we can boast, but so that we can be people, your servants, your workmanship that you created in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Now that you have each other's hands, why don't you go around and uh, greet each other, say hi to each other, take a few minutes, say hi to one another. got a birthday in the house today we have a birthday I think we have two birthdays in the house today we have actually have two birthdays in the house we have Emily O'Brien's birthday and I and Abia is Abia's birthday too today so we're gonna sing happy birthday come on Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Emily Happy birthday to you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. May this year be super blessed for you. Super blessed. I want to... Welcome visitors here. You are welcome here. You're on your journey with the Lord. You are welcome to be with us on that journey. We will encourage you in your journey. Uh, if you're a visitor and there, you can get a, a card in the pew in front of you, fill it out. You can put it in the offering plate as it goes. We don't get, give your information to anybody else, so you don't have to worry about it. It's just for us to uh, actually put you on our e-newsletter. Pastor David will also greet you but it's to put it on the e-newsletter so you know what's going on. It's very important. Pastor David will be starting what we call a CMP class, Center for Ministry Preparation. It's on the life of Christ. It's going to be Sunday nights from 5 to 7. 
If you're wanting to do that, it's excellent teaching to root and ground you in the Word. It goes very deep in the Word of God. So if you want to do that, be a part of that, please contact Pastor David. Let him know that you're coming. This summer, we've got a lot of things going on. Yes, there may be things that we suspend for the summer, but in place of those things, we've got all kinds of things going on. We have our Tongues of Fire service on July 1st at 8 p.m. Everybody's welcome. This is a bilingual service of uh, Hindi and uh, English. Our international partners get on, log on online in real time. So it is an exciting time. The Holy Spirit moves in power. And so I want you to be a part of it. You know, you say, well, it might go too long. I might get sleepy and tired. You know what? Then leave after you stay for a while. You can go. We won't make you stay here. We don't put some, you know, handcuffs on you. We don't make you lock you to the pew. You can go. But be a part of that. This is a time to get filled with the Holy Spirit. July 3rd, we have our baptism. If you want to be water baptized, if you have recommitted your life to Christ or you're a new believer, or if you've never been water baptized, please see Pastor David. We already have some uh, people signing up. It's going to be between the services, between the first and second service. We also will have an ice cream truck with a free ice cream cone after both services. Listen. It's good ice cream, too, and you can upgrade to a banana split or whatever you want. You just have to pay the difference. We always upgrade to a banana split. Might as well. If you're going to go for it, go for it, right? If you're going to swing, swing hard, right? Okay. So (laughs) that's the way we live. We swing hard. We also this summer have a marriage retreat. It's a one-day thing. It's here. It's from 9 to 3. It's only $25 per couple. Listen, this is going to be a powerful time. One of the greatest tools of evangelism in your life is your marriage. And the, the, what God can do in our marriage and make it fulfilling, make it glorifying to him. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss it. And then later on say, I need to meet with you for counseling, Pastor Lim, because my marriage is in trouble. Don't do that. I'm telling you, don't do that. This is an opportunity for you to feast on the word of God. It's all word-based. Listen, it's word of God-based, okay? And it's healthy teaching. It's healthy teaching. So some of you say, well, I've been in some things. That's not what I want. You know, this is healthy teaching. want you to be a part of it. Mark your calendar. Invite people. This is not just for Crossroads only. It's for any couple that wants to attend. Finally, our partner of the week we're highlighting is Pastor Samuel and Kieran. And they are our church planters as well as they have what we used to call Harvest Loving Home. Now it's Living Hope Children's Home. The name had to be changed due to some confusion um, where they were. There's another uh, orphanage or children's home that had the same name, so we changed it. But we have been raising money for two churches to be built in the Himalayan mountains, a place where there had never been churches in the history of Christianity. Bring up the next slide. And we also bring up, yeah, here we go. We also wanted to buy a motorcycle for uh, one of the pastors and a sound system. Look where we are. We had, it was a $26,900 commitment. I like to say bill. You know, I call it a bill because I already committed to it. So it's a bill. (laughs) Anyway, it's a faith bill, you know. But uh, we've raised $24,000. We only need $2,900 to get the second church, the final church built. 
And then we're sending the money to get those churches to, to be built so that when we travel there in February 2023, we can go into the uttermost parts of the earth and dedicate them. If we raise this money here, I promise you, I will go to the uttermost parts of the world to dedicate them. Amen. You know, that's a big sacrifice for me, by the way. $2,900 remain. Praise the Lord that once again, the Lord has given us the privilege to do his good works in the earth. Amen. To empower other people to go about doing good as well. Amen. So I want you to consider, let's wipe that last $2,900 out, and then we're done for a while until next time I go. And then I'll come back with something else because that's the way it works. But come on, I promise you, God going to bless you. He'll, he is, not only will bless you, he is blessing you. Come on forward. Uh, it's time to give our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your goodness toward us. And Lord, we also want to go about and do good works through your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would give our tithes and offerings unto you in worship, and you would use these resources to expand your kingdom in the earth in your name. Amen. God amen. bless you. And I believe the wonder-working God You're the wonder-working God All the miracles I've seen too good to not believe the wonder-working God. You heal because you love. All the miracles we'll see. Too good to not believe. Amen. Aren't you glad you have a God that loves you and cares for you? Aren't you glad there's a God that can you can cast all your cares on because he cares for you, Amen. you know. Um, it was interesting this last week. Uh, it was Sunday evening the Lord gave me this message. I was actually sitting downstairs in my living room and kind of got a download um, of the message and not knowing what this week would hold. You know, this has been a real uh, painful week for our nation and, and for families. And I just want to say one thing before I begin speaking and preaching on it. Um, this is a time that we need, really need to be praying for those families. I could not imagine the loss of a child. If any of you have ever lost a child, and, and some of you have had, um, it's very painful. But to have it done in this manner is just devastating. And, you know, Scripture, uh, I, love, I love the fact that there is hope we have in Scripture. Uh, I don't have the passage up, but in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 4, verse 13, it says, we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve, but we don't grieve because we have hope. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about uh, the concept of why I believe in hope. And it's interesting because we're living in a, in a culture, and, and this is just not in our culture here. This is a global culture. People are losing their sense of hope. Um, we're seeing more and more suicides. We're seeing in certain parts of the world massive amounts of suicides like Japan and India and there certain parts of the world like that. You're seeing even, you know, people who are young and healthy and, and, and all this and they have thousands of followers, all of a sudden they're committing suicide. You know, it's, I believe that the enemy whose plan really is to kill, steal, and destroy people. Right. Uh, his goal is, is no matter what you may think, yeah. you know, hell's going to be this big party we're going to celebrate and all this. No, hell is a place of weeping and separation from God. 
And people are living in a place right now where they have, they're lacking hope. And I want to talk to you about that because hope basically is what gives us the ability to say, hey, I can, I can look to tomorrow. And Christ is the example of hope to us. And a lot of times in Scripture, there's stories in Scripture that te- teach us lessons about that. You know, one of them, I'm going to jump around a little bit today because I've got a lot of Scripture I want to look at because I, I really believe that we are, uh, need to be a word-based church and have the Word speak to our spirits. Right. Let the Word of God who created you and formed you in your mother's womb. And by the way, Abia, just to let you know, now that you're one, uh, Grandpa David will give you candy, okay? <laughs> I've been waiting for the first year. Look at her. She looked at me. I see that eye. Yeah, that away, girl. Uh, uh, but, you know, hope is something that gives you the perspective of seeing the future. And in Scripture, there's a story in the, in the book of Acts where Paul, who is uh, 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 on a ship getting ready to sail to Rome, he's actually in, on a ship sailing to Rome, they get into a storm. And a lot of times we, we think of our lives and how our lives are in a storm at times. Listen to what Scripture says. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. You ever been that place where you just, I've done, I'm done, I'm done, I can't handle it anymore, you know, uh, it's over, everything is just bleak. And then he says this, and after they had gone for a long time without food, so not only is the environment bad, but they're starving, Paul stood up before them and said, men... You should have taken my advice not to sail. Don't you love that? When you're going through a bad situation and someone says, if you just would have listened to me, you know, probably not the best thing for Paul to do. But look what he says. He says, then you would have been spared these damages and loss. But now, this is where hope is reengaged. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because uh, not one of you will be lost and only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God... Uh, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that he, uh, that it will happen as he has told me. And it's interesting because Paul uses a word in, the, in, his, in his text, in the original language. The word he uses there is hope. And hope is basically the ability to look forward to anticipation with something. Not with fear, not with dread, not with remorse, not with any angst in your soul, but basically looking forward to something with pleasure. And and, and as people of God, one of the things that we have, we have the hope of Christ coming, and we have the hope of Christ being with us when we go through storms. You know, you're not alone in these situations, and, and I don't know the faith of, of all of these families that have gone through this tragedy, but I know this. There is a God in heaven who weeps with those who weeps. There is a God in heaven who understands the pain that people are going through. And what we need to be is we need to be people who speak hope to them. You know, one of the things that God, God's word says over and over is that you and I are designed as people of hope. Do you know that? When God knit you together and God formed you and God created you, and before you were born while you were still in your mother's womb, God put that divine nature in you so that you would be a person of hope. Listen to what Romans says. And may the God of hope, listen, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, well, if you're a son or daughter of the Most High God, you are a child of hope. And he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is what gives us hope. Why do we sing? Why do we rejoice? Why do we, we have celebration in church? Because the joy of the Lord is what gives you your strength. It's not your own ability. It's not your own physical prowess. It's not your own ability. It's the joy of the Lord because where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is life, there is abundance. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. And if you've, you've come to this church more than once, you've probably heard me say this. This is my favorite passage. For I know the plans the Lord that it has for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Listen, plans to give you hope and a future. You see, we are designed to be hopeful. We are not designed to be hopeless. And sure, I understand. I have gone through it. You've gone through it. Tragedy is part of life. But what we do is when we go through a difficult time, we do what the Old Testament says. We look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. And what God wants to do is God wants to infuse you with faith to believe his word that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you imagine or ask. So what is hopelessness? Because that's really what we're, we need to uh, uh, look at the enemy, if you want, and see what it is. And hopelessness is defined as basically the some, something that gets you in a dark mood. A, a, you know, I, I call it a funk, you know. People get in that funk, you know, they get this thing about them, and they just, they, everything's negative, everything's, uh, it, it could be a sunny day, and they're like complaining they're getting a sunburn. It could be, you know, they, they have something nice happen to them, they say, oh, well, I'm just, this is just the, the good thing that's going to happen before the storm that's going to come. It's an, a, a perspective of adversity and a mood that you have that tweaks your understanding and tweaks the way you view the world. Actually, hopelessness distorts your future view. Yeah. You hear me? Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a mindset that you have. And you can be with people that have way more than you have, but yet because of the way they're thinking and they're, 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 they're processing things, everything turns negative. And let me tell you something. This whole COVID season globally yeah. is isolating people so their minds aren't thinking on things that are pure, true, praiseworthy, uplifting. They're thinking upon things that are negative. They're thinking on things that are going to distract them. They're isolating them from people. And let me tell you, we were not created to be isolated. We were created to be in community. We're created to build one another up. We're created to encourage one another. And one of the things that happens is when you isolate yourself, you, you, you allow the spirit of fear to get into you. And the spirit of fear is a spirit of hopelessness. You know? That's every life insurance policy you have, every life insurance, uh, insurance policy you have on your cars, your motorcycle, your homes, your vacations, that's all based fear-based. Well, what is going to happen if... You know, well, we, we, we better do this because this is about to happen, you know. And it's not based in faith. And anything that's not based in faith tears down that faith. And what God's word says, he wants us to have a, a perspective of life that's based upon him and his goodness. The Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good is what scripture says over and over and over. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to look at, at hopelessness because what it does it basically sucks the life out of a person. Right. When you're hopeless, basically you don't care. You don't want to get up. You don't want to eat. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to have relationships. You don't want to be around people. You know, I've known people that have given up hope that will sit in a room with the lights out day after day after day after day. Why? Because they don't feel like there's any purpose in life. Right, right. And what the Lord came to give us is not 
Fear, not worry, not anxiety, but he came to give us life and life abundantly. And sure, you and I will go through circumstances and situations that are going to be painful, they're going to be difficult, they're going to be hard. I'm not just, I'm not saying, oh, it's just, you know, everything's perfect. It's not. But you have to have a perspective of it and look to the one who was able to get you through those circumstances. Let it, let, look, look at the Lord and let him be the one that guides you. Because, you know, one of the things that's interesting is there has been dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, actually over 300 studies looking at the area of hopelessness that I've, in this last couple weeks, I've been reading just articles. And there's all of these uh, clinical studies tell us that one of the best ways to overcome hopelessness is to change your thinking. Well, how do you change your thinking? Well, how do we do it around here? We tell you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something happens when your mind is renewed by the word of God because it speaks life into you. And one of the things that, that is interesting, when we read this passage, we saw that, that the courage was taken away because of circumstances. A lot of times... We allow circumstances to dictate to us how we're going to respond rather than saying, okay, Lord, what are you doing in this? How can I see your hand and favor go through this situation so I can see what you're doing through my life? And, and, and what happens when we get into a situation where our hope is taken? According to the passage we read about the shipwreck is basically the, it, their hope was taken from them. Why? Because they looked at the circumstances rather than the God who is supernatural and beyond circumstances. And, and I want to challenge you this morning. When you're going through a, a situation where you feel like your hope is gone, don't allow the thing that is bringing that to you to be the center of your focus. My wife and I say all the time, whatever you focus on is you're going to magnify. So if you're focusing on the problem, then you're d- diminishing the power of God to move in the problem. Rather than saying, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know this, that you are going to do exceedingly above what I imagine or ask. So I'm going to ask that you're going to take away this situation. I'm going to ask that, Lord, somehow you touch my body. Somehow you touch my relationships. Somehow you touch my pain. Somehow you restore, you remove all that from me. You take it all away from me. So let's look at the Gospel of Luke, because there's a story in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24 that I want to, it's really interesting. It's the post-resurrection Jesus meeting his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're, they're in the, the mully grubs, if you would. They're in the gloom and despair. They're in the, you know, the, the, uh, the throes of anguish because they just lost the, the, the hope of their salvation. He, Jesus had just been crucified. Listen to what it says, starting in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with one another, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. Okay, this has just been three days since they've seen Jesus, right? But they, but they were kept from recognizing him. In verse 17, Jesus speaking, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? And they stood still, their face downcast, usually a symptom of despair or hopelessness. One of them, called Cleopas, asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And in verse 19, Jesus, I love this. I love how Jesus asks questions. He says, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
He was a, okay, now this, this is, I find humor in this. They're talking to Jesus about who he is, okay? Uh, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, listen, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. Duh. No wonder why he's standing next to you. Okay? And I love this. They came and told us and that they had seen him, uh, uh, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had told us, but they did not see Jesus. Neither did you, right? In verse 25, and he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, so you think my sermons are long? He began with Moses, okay, and all the prophets, and he explained to them what uh, was said in all of the scriptures concerning him, the thousands of prophetic scriptures that were talked about about who Jesus was. He goes and he explains to them as they're walking this seven-mile jaunt from Emmaus to Jerusalem, okay? I don't know if you've ever taken a seven-mile hike, but you can do a lot of talking in seven miles, okay? And he goes over and explains everything. And as they approached the village where they were going, which is uh, Jerusalem, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with him, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That would really, can you imagine, they would have been like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. Wow, he's gone. That fast, okay? And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened scripture to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven uh, and those with them assembled together. Now, it's interesting because in, in verse 13, we read the, the background of this story. Who were they? There were two of them. There was, if you look down in verse 7, the first one is named by name, Cleopas. But many scholars believe that the second one was actually, uh, uh, was actually Luke, the writer of this text. And he's telling the story about him seeing it firsthand. And they felt these are people that were, remember, these were the people that spent three years with Jesus. He was investing in them. They saw miracles. They saw these things, yet they lost, they, lost, they lost their hope. And what happens is they lost not just their hope for the present, but for the future. You see, and, and they're, they're, it's interesting because I love when you start really studying Scripture because they were going to Emmaus. How, how many of you know Emmaus, anything about Emmaus? Emmaus was a place of hot springs. Kind of like down in Gilroy, the Gilroy uh, Yamoto Springs that have been closed since the 60s. In the late 1800s, through the, uh, uh, actually through the beginning of, of uh, the 1930s, there was a hot spring area down in, in Gilroy that people from all over would come to because of the medicinal value of the water and the hot springs. They were very hot. Uh, that's why they're called hot springs, right? Yeah. Uh, they were very hot. Uh, but then uh, they, they kind of fell into disrepair. Well, that's what Emmaus was. It was like a resort area where if you were sick, you could go and get into the therapeutic waters, and it was a place of comfort. 
Let me ask you this. When you go through tragedy, what is your place of comfort? You know, a lot of people do a lot of things to find comfort when they're going through pain. And that's where the Lord says, cast your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. And, 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 and he was a man of sorrows. He understands pain when you're going through pain. A lot of times people think, well, the Lord doesn't understand. No, he only made the universe and made you. He doesn't understand anything, you know. The reality is he understands it. And he says they were going to Jerusalem, which was, they were going from a place of trying to find comfort to Jerusalem, which is the place of peace. You see, and the only way you can get from the place where you need comfort for the place of peace is to take a walk with Jesus. You know, you can't do it on your own. You know, you, your ability and my ability will always fall short, but the Lord has the ability to, to walk with you and talk with you and guide you and encourage you. And then they get to verse 15 and they talked. And I love this because Jesus' presence was with them and he went with them and he walked at their pace, not at a, a pace of other people. He caught up to where they were at in their grief and he walked with them through it. And then in verse 16, uh, I love this, they were kept from recognizing him. They couldn't see it. Why? Because sometimes in your pain, you can't see things clearly around you. You don't have a perspective because the pain has blocked it out. The thing that is so big, you remember that commercial years ago on, about the guy walking around, he had a little car on his forehead in the morning, and then as the day went on, the car got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was a, an auto uh, a company advertisement of, you need a new car, and how does it start? It starts up in your mind, your thoughts. That's why it's so important for us to be continually renewed by the word of God. Because the word refreshes and renews us and gives us a perspective that God has on you and your situation and the circumstances. But so many times people don't want to do that. They just want to be blinded. Just, they want to really just wallow in their pain and, and find some sort of comfort in their pain rather than finding comfort in the presence of the Lord. Mm. Does that apply to any of you? Don't raise your hand. And then I love how Jesus asked a question. You know, what are you, what are you guys talking about? What are you discussing? What's, what's going on here? And, and, and literally, the, the wording in the text tells us that they were, their faces were downcast, which literally means they were gloomy in despair. You know? It's kind of like the, the depths of despair of any of you, like Anne of Green Gables, you know? It's that kind of place where you're just, you're in the mully grubs, and you can't get a clear perspective of it because you're so overwhelmed by the situation. And then I love what Jesus does in the, in the middle of verses from verses 19 to 24. He basically starts reminding them of the story. Let me tell you, when you go through a difficult situation, you need to open up the word of God. Sometimes you don't even feel like reading it. Sometimes you don't feel like getting anything from it. But there's something happens when you're in the presence of the Lord. And a lot of times it's just, it's, it's a discipline. You have to do it is get in there and listen to what the word is saying and speak. And if you don't know where to begin, open up to the Psalms and just read the Psalms because they're, they're very powerful. There's so much life-giving and, 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 and power in there. And so when I'm, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how the, the basic pr premise of what Jesus was dealing with was dealing with people that had a worldview that was different than, 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 than the message of the gospel. So how did Jesus restore their hope? Let me look at a couple things here. First of all, I love this. In Luke, in Luke chapter 24, verse 15, he basically, he drew them near to them. He drew near to them. And let me tell you, you may think you're alone when you're going through something that steals your life and your joy, but the Lord is always with you. Amen. He's never, he said this, he promised you when you came to faith, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I will have my Holy Spirit with you. And when you're going through a difficult situation, I will never abandon you. And one of the things that he did, he drew near to them. And he drew near to them in such a place. He, I love this in the story. He walks up and starts talking to them. Let me ask you this. When you're going through a time where you're going through something really tragic, are your ears open to hear what the Lord's saying to you? Are you positioning yourself? You know, I had a conversation with my wife this week. I said, honey, is it, is it just me or are, are you mumbling more than normal? She goes, no, honey, you're getting old. Your ears, you're not hearing as well as you used to. And, and with all confidence, I said, what do you say? You know, you know, a lot of times we, we get dull as we spend time with the Lord. You know, we think, well, yeah, I know that. I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Well, do you really know it? Right. Knowledge is just not cerebral. Right. It's experience. And are you allowing the Lord to have the experience with you to communicate with you? The second thing he does, and I love this, he drew them out of their conditions. Look at verses 17 through 25 of this. He basically addresses the facts of the situation. And one of the times that many times when we're going through a a tragedy, we allow our feelings to be the lead. Let me tell you, feelings don't make good leaders. They make good followers, but they don't make good leaders. And you've got to look at the, the, the situation. Look at the situation. Sure, the, the, the doctor may say something terrible is going on in your body. Your, your financial situation may be a mess. You may have a family member that's going through a tragedy. You may be going through something. But what are the facts? The Lord says it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I always look at a difficulty like this. Is Lord, okay, I don't know what you're going to do, but how are you going to do this? What miracle? You know, so many times we want to see a miracle, but we don't want to be a part of it, right? At least not a part of God needing to do a miracle on our behalf. We want a miracle on someone else's behalf. We want to be the person that prays for them so that they have the, they have the miracle and we could tell the story, but it's different when we need the miracle and we need to cry out to the Lord. But you know, the thing is, you've got to look at the facts. And, and one of the things that I love about this story in, in Luke is that Jesus basically tells them, don't trust your feelings, trust what you believe. You know, it's interesting because in the story of the shipwreck with Paul, they lost courage, which was... Have you ever lost courage over something? Oh, I can't do this anymore. What do you do? You give up. And what Paul was saying is the same thing as Luke is telling us, and the same thing that Jesus is telling us through the words of Luke, is that you've got to keep your, your trust in the Lord. Trust him in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will make your pathway straight. But yet, we don't want to do that. The third thing he does, and I love this, he, he addresses the core problem. And the core problem with people that lose hope is they don't believe anymore. I just don't believe. You know, I just give up. Be it in your faith, be it in your business, be it in your personal relationships. Once you stop believing in a situation, well, I no longer, I no longer believe that we love one another. I'm going to go find my soulmate, and I, you're not my soulmate anymore. That decision's made. Your mind is changed. In business, I just can't do this anymore. I can't financially sustain the business during this economic situation. I'm giving up hope. You know, and courage is saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know the Lord's on my side, and if the Lord's on my side, I'm going to push through this. And I don't know how he's going to work in my my relationship. I don't know how he's going to work in my business. I don't know how he's going to work in my finances, but I'm going to trust the Lord. And that is a mindset that you have to have. It's a mindset of saying, you know, Lord, you and I are a majority. I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to help me to push through this. And I love how Jesus addresses this in, in, in this passage. He says, basically, in verse 25, he says, how foolish are you? Think about that. 
the God who walked with them for three years tells them all what's going on. He says, guys, you're just foolish. And what is foolish? Foolish is, is acting in a way that doesn't follow logic. And he's saying, you guys are not following the facts here. There are thousands of prophecies about me. I told you for three years what we're going to do. I told you that I was going to be raised again, and now you're in the mully grubs because it's been three days since I've been crucified, and they don't even recognize who he is. And then I love the fourth thing he does. He renewed their focus on the word of God. And that's one of the things when you're going through a situation where you feel hopeless. You've got to put your faith back in the Lord. And he, he says, look what he says in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have the ability to say, hey, I've got the written word. I've got the whole canon of scripture in front of me. We have more than the disciples had. But yet many times we don't want to get back into the word and allow the word to get back into us. And what happens is, is they said, literally, our hearts were burning. Something happens deep inside of you when the word of God speaks to your situation. And I'll tell you, when you go through a difficult challenge and you have that aha moment, that's what I call it. It's a, it's a deep theological term. It's called the aha moment. It's you're reading scripture and the Lord speaks to you. You go, ah, that's it right there. The Lord's given it to me. Yet so many times we want to go find it in other things. We're going to, we want to go find our, our comfort someplace else rather than the Lord, realizing the Lord is the one that changed us. The Lord is the one that saved us. He's, he's the one that empowers us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. You know, so what do we do? A lot of times we'll go talk to a therapist, which is not, not bad, but a lot of times I find therapists need a lot of help too, you know? And it's interesting because in, 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 the, in the 1970s, there was a, a, a therapist by the name of Burns uh, that he went out and he, he, he designed this whole thing called cognitive therapy. Uh, cognitive therapy is a 50-cent word for saying changing your thinking. And basically what he, is, he said and what is, has been proven scientifically through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of case studies and experiments with people, the best way for you to overcome hopelessness is changing the way you're thinking. And now it's interesting because it took this psychologist, well, he was born in the 1920s or 30s, something like that, but it took you know, 1,900 years for the world to realize you have to change your thinking if you want to overcome anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And the Word of God's been telling us that for centuries. And, and when we think about it, one of the things that happens is we forget what Scripture says. I mean, how many of you forget what Scripture says? You know, you go through something and you're, you get this gloss over your eyes. You know, it's like, I can't see now. Something has changed my perspective. When I'm, I'm full of faith, I believe, but uh, we hit a speed bump in life and all of a sudden we can't believe anymore. And so what does Scripture say? Romans 12, 1 and 2. One of the core foundations of, of our belief is your pastor's is therefore we urge you, urge is basically pushing you on to believe. He says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in views of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Basically saying, here, I, here am I, Lord. Do whatever you want in my life. I trust you. I'm going to believe you. This is really what true worship is, is what Paul says. But then look what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't allow the, the imprint of the world to stamp on you what you, way you should act, but be transformed, have a complete metamorphosis of who you are and your thinking. Why and how? You do it by renewing your mind in the word of God. You know, I just saved you 125 bucks an hour, right? You know, 
And if you don't want to come to the marriage seminar and you, uh, you have marriage problems, Shelly was telling us that this, the stuff she's teaching, she knows people that teach $10,000 a weekend for what you're getting. Okay? What is the word of God? The word of God is life to us. It is the thing that changes us. And something happens when the word gets in you and you allow the word to transform your mind. It changes your thought process. That's why they said in, in verse 32, they asked, weren't not our hearts burning within us? Why? Because they were in the presence of the living word of God. They were in the presence of Jesus Christ. And as they were in the presence of Christ, something happened in them. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I. The same spirit that lives in Christ Jesus lived in them. And when they were walking with him, all of a sudden they had this, whoa, is that pizza indigestion? No, it's the presence of the Lord stirring up something in them saying, I know what you're going through and I have the keys to unlock so you can get out of it. Well, I don't know if you're getting something out of this, but I am. And then he says this, I love this, in the, the, the thing that happens, he says, you know what, as a result of that, I'm going to help you refocus on, on the covenant relationship I have with you. Look what he says in verse 33. What happened after they got together with Jesus and they had that aha moment where their eyes were opened, they went back to Jerusalem and met up with the others. So what they were doing is they're all, all off by themselves, you know? You know, what happens when you lose hope? You don't want to be around other people that are going to speak life to you. Well, I don't feel like going to church. I'm going through a bad situation. I don't want to go to life group. I don't want to read my Bible. Why? Because you don't want life to be infused in you. Why? Because you're allowing the situation and circumstance and the confusion of the enemy to destroy your thoughts so you can't find the key to unlock your door. Yeah. And the very thing that you need is the very thing you're avoiding. Yeah. And what, the, what Jesus did with the disciples is says, guys, get back in community. That's, that's where you're going to find the ability to, to be networked and to be built up. And there's something happens when we gather together. That's why scripture says it's not good for us not to uh, assemble together, to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because something happens to us spiritually when we're in the presence of the Lord. You know? And, and so what happens is, is they believed, and as they believed, their faith was growing. So how does Jesus produce hope in us. What happens when we find hope? One of the things that we find in scripture is that as we go through when we look at the story of Paul in the book of Acts, if you look at Acts chapter 27 verse 25 where we started, okay, so I'm going back to the beginning, okay, he says, keep up your courage and have faith in God. Something happens when you have faith in the Lord. Faith is just not, oh Lord, yeah, I believe. No, faith is saying, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but I know the one who is able to do what he said he's going to do. And I'm going to put my trust in him. Now, I, I, I love doctors. I love the medical community. But I also love a God who does miracles. Amen. I love finance. And I've, I've just read two or three books in the last month on finance and money. But I tell you what, I love the God who does the impossible. I love the God that says, if you'll trust me, I will be faithful to you. Yeah. I love reading about relationships. But I love the God who's a restorer of relationships. Yeah. You know, and one of the things I've learned over all my 35, 37 years of pastoring is that there is a God who meets you when you allow him to meet you, that he, he will show up to the appointment if you open the door and say, come on into my situation. But the problem is so many of us don't want the Lord in it. We'd rather just sit in the mully grubs and feel sorry for ourselves and, and let other people pray our burden away rather than us saying, Lord, here am I, use me. So what does God do? Listen, listen, to, listen to what God does and what hope does in your life. Hope brings in 
blessing and favor. Listen to what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 17, 17, and 18. But blessed is the one. Well, that's a typo. That can't be right. Uh, that only it means blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord when things are going good. Now, blessed in the Lord are those who trust in the Lord. Blessed is the person who trusts and has what? Has confidence. What's confidence? Confidence is the fact that when you tell your grandkids, we're going for ice cream this afternoon, they have confidence you're going for ice cream. You know? They're, the Confidence is, hey, I'm going to meet you here at this certain time. And Emily's looking at her mom for ice cream right now. Okay? <laughs> or grandma. Looking at grandma for ice cream. There you go. That's even better. Who cares about your mother? Just go straight, straight to the higher authority, right? You know? <laughs> You know, confidence is unwavering belief and trust in something. And that's what God wants us to do in him. He wants us to have confidence. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what he said he will perform. And then look what it says. And they will be like what? Like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots to the streams. And it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. And there's no worries in a year of drought and never bear, uh, uh, never, uh, uh, falls to uh, fails to uh, never fails to speak properly, never fails to bear fruit. You know it's interesting. Jeremiah talks about being blessed, and blessed is a state of awareness of God in your life in situations and circumstances that it doesn't matter what everything else around you is saying. You know that God is with you, and if God be with me, who can be against me? You know, and that's what that's what the prophet's saying. It's interesting because. As you read that text, my mind, when I read that, automatically went back to Psalms 1, 2, and 3. You know the Psalms? The Psalms basically tell us that, that, that we are plant. Listen to what it says, Psalms 1, 2, 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the ways of the sinners or sits in the company of mockers, but they delight, what? In the law of the Lord. And they meditate on it, on the law, day and night. That person is like, wow, sounds like they're plagiarizing here. You know, they're saying the same thing in different ways. They will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. You know, something happens when you and I put our trust in the Lord. You draw your sustenance from him. The root system basically talks about pulling up the nutrients out of the soil. And actually, the roots of the trees that's planted by the water don't just stop in a little ball that they're planted in. They go out to the water, the living water of the Word of God. And what happens when you're in the Word, the Lord allows the nurturance of His Spirit to get into you. As you continue with this, this, this word picture is so powerful. It, it talks about the, the confidence, you know, the heat and the storms and the winds and the drought. None of those things affect you. Why? Because you're built upon the solidness of the Lord. And then he goes in, he talks about the, the green leaves. I mean, we could talk about that now because starting June 1st, you can only water your lawn one day a week now, okay? Because we're going under water restrictions again. But, you know, we will never be lacking of sustenance when we're putting our trust and hope in the Lord. You know, and the psalmist, this is not just like some pie in the sky theology. This is, this is how we really live. And if you trust the Lord, if you put your hope in him, you will never be disappointed. A second thing that, that, that favor, favor does, is, is, or hope does, it produces favor in your life. How many of you want favor? You know? You know, I always love when someone says, hey, can I do you a favor? Yeah, what's that? 
well, you know, your collar, like my wife, I walked in this morning, my collar was all twisted up. She goes, honey, let me do a favor. Let me fix your collar. You know, something you can't see that you need that other people can look and bless you with. Favor, according to scripture, is one of the promises God gives us. And the psalmist, I love how the psalm, listen to how the psalm says it in Psalm, 1, or psalm 94, verse 19 in the, the New Living Translation. When doubts filled my mind, I love this, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Don't you love it when the Lord comes into a situation that you're in and you don't know how you're going to deal with it? And the Lord says, I got it. This is, this is on me. I'll take care of this for you. You just put your trust in me. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't see how it's going to happen, but you're going to have a story to tell about how I did something for you when you thought it was impossible. Right. I got a story. I, I, I got something. I'm doing something in you and through you and even despite you that as a result, you're going to look back and say, wow, look what the Lord has done. You know, because you put your trust in him. He renews that. And, and I love how the, in, in Psalm 40, verse 5, it says, And may, and, and, and may uh, the Lord my God, who are the many... Oh. Sorry, sound team, on that one. Shouldn't have smacked my lips, but that'll wake you up if you're listening to this recording, okay? Look what Psalm 45 says. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. Think about it. The Lord plans to do wonders in your life. And a lot of times, he'll take a situation, circumstance that was meant for evil and turn it around for good. But you know what it takes? It takes you to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know this. You're going to do it. Why? Because I'm standing on your word. I'm not looking at the situations. I'm not looking at the circumstances. I'm looking at what your word says. And your word declares that you're going to do this for me. And your word declares that every jot and tittle of the word, every line, every dot, every period, every comma, every exclamation point in this word is what you're going to perform. So, Lord, I accept that. And then he says this, and I love this. Where I speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. You know, one of the things we talk about all the time as believers is how we don't see miracles. But a lot of times it's because we don't allow God to perform them. We're always trying to get around doing things on our own. And God's saying, I want to perform a miracle in your life. I want to perform something that you, you cannot ever imagine. And, you know, God's promise to us is that if you put your trust in him, you're going to find the hope that he has. Listen to what Proverbs says, the book of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of us know it. We've read it. We may have a plaque in our house with it. But it says, trust in the Lord with what? Some of your heart. You know, that's the way some of us read it. We have the new modern uh, removing hope version of it, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, I, I know for a fact we got some smart people in this room. You could do things that other people can't do. But I tell you, your knowledge of things compared to the Lord are, are like this compared to his knowledge being the height of this room. That's why you trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, and you do that, and don't rely on your own understanding, but say, Lord, give me your perspective on this. Give me your understanding on this. And then he says this, and then you submit your ways to the Lord, and what will happen? He will straighten your path. You know, when you lose hope, you're basically like going all over the place. You don't know what's going on. But you know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to straighten those paths. And so, Lord, right now, we just ask that you would just come right now in this room. 
Father, you, you have this message. You spoke very clearly to me about this message last Sunday afternoon. Lord, I didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was going on, but Lord, we know this. We know there is a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can imagine or ask. And Father, you want to speak life to your sons and daughters. You want to speak hope to us. And Lord, I don't know what we're going through as individuals, but I do know this, that God, you hear us. You know our, you hear the cry, you hear the cry that no one else hears. You hear the words spoken in private when we don't think anyone's listening. But Lord, you're listening. And so, Father, right now, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray, God, that your spirit would just fill us right now. Every area of our heart, every area of our mind, God, I pray that your word that was spoken through the scriptures this morning would bring life to us. Lord, I pray that you would take us from the youngest in this room to the oldest in this room. And, Lord, you would redirect our thoughts to you. Lord, I pray that as we go through situations in life and situations that we don't know what's going on, we have the confidence of walking with one who does. And, Lord, I ask that you would just right now infuse our hearts with your word. Lord, I pray that we, you, we would just baptize us with a baptism of belief right now, Lord. Now, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. You're not looking at, I'm not looking around. I'm, I, my eyes are closed. But you're just acknowledging that, Lord, you need the Lord right now. Lord, we lift our hands to you this, this morning because we know that we need you. And God, you know every circumstance and situation that we're going through. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just come right now as our hands are reached up to you, that, God, you would reach down to your sons and your daughters right now, and you would grab our hands and hold us. Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence in you. I pray you'd give us confidence in your word. I pray you'd give us confidence in the assurance that, God, it is your plans not to harm us, but to give us a future and a hope. I pray that, Father, that you would allow your word to speak to our situations, that, God, our intellect would be, would be allowing the word of God to speak life to us, Lord, and not allowing our thoughts to control us, but we would allow the word of God to control us. And, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak life. Lord, I pray that your spirit would renew something deep within us, that, Father, you would renew the hope in you. Lord, we can grieve, but like, like Thessalonians says, we don't grieve like the world that doesn't have hope because we know of you. And I pray, Father, that right now your Holy Spirit would just be doing a, a remodeling in our thoughts, a remodeling in our lives, a remodeling of who we are as men and women of faith. And Lord, for those that are lacking faith, Lord, I pray you would, you would fill us to overflowing with faith. I pray that, Lord, your spirit would pour upon us, Lord, and you would take those burdens that we're carrying, and the Lord, you would allow us to cast them upon you because your word says, and you say, you care for us. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that right now in your wonderful name. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. Stand with us. We're going to, Pastor Rebecca is going to lead us in a song of worship, and then Pastor Lynn is going to close. And I believe you're the wonder-working God, you're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe. 
He's the wonder-working God And you heal because you love All the miracles we'll see Too good to not believe He's the wonder-working God He's the wonder-working God All the miracles I've seen Too good to not believe He's the wonder-working God And you heal because you love All the miracles we'll see prayer teams available to you that I want you to take that opportunity for somebody to pray with you. You know, it's interesting in this story that Pastor David emphasized on the road to Emmaus is once they found their hope, they turned around and went in the other direction. And you know what? That's what we are to do is in the midst, the world wants us to be on the trajectory of despair. The world wants you as a believer to lose your hope. But the Lord comes to us, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, listen, see me, see me. I'm here, see me. And it turns us around and gets us to go in the direction that we're to be in. So if you need prayer today, maybe it's about something that you're going through. Maybe you feel a little hopeless regarding a situation that you're facing, a battle that you're fighting, situation in your home. Take time and get at some prayer. Don't leave this place alone. The Lord wants you to know these prayer teams are available because the Lord wants you to know He sees you. He sees you, and you are not alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for the word that you have given to us. We thank you for the presence of Jesus in our lives, with us as a community of faith. And Lord, we leave this house in hope. We leave this house knowing we have power and authority to do good things in this earth, to defeat the enemy, to destroy the works of the enemy. That's our assignment. Even in the midst of all the tragedy and the pain and the sorrow and the things we do not understand that happen, in the midst of that, Lord, we fix our eyes on you. And Lord, we go about doing your good works, your love, your hope to those around us. In your name, amen. God bless you. Have a great holiday weekend. Please come and receive prayer if you need it. Have a great time this weekend.